Now, when was the last time you faced temptation? Perhaps it was last night. Perhaps you were tempted to eat another piece of fried chicken. Or you were tempted to eat some ice cream after dinner. Maybe some of us were tempted to binge watch an entire series, TV series on Netflix. Maybe some of us were tempted to watch pornography. When it comes to temptation, we all fall at one point or another. Maybe it's not sexual sin. Maybe it's not junk food. Maybe it's not binge-watching Netflix. But we all commit various sins throughout the day. Maybe it's a prideful thought or a judgmental thought, a lustful thought, or an ungrateful thought. In today's passage, we're going to be looking at the temptations of Jesus. And we're going to see how Jesus overcame every single temptation by using the Word of God. So look with me at today's passage in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. Luke 4, 1 to 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Let's spend another moment praying together this morning. God, we thank you for this morning that despite all of our weaknesses and sins and temptations that we face daily, on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. For years and years, we have the same weaknesses and shortcomings, the same besetting sins. For some of us, it is laziness. For some of us, it's prayerlessness. For some of us, it's self-reliance, pride, or lust. Whatever it may be, Lord, today we thank you that Jesus Christ came into this world for sinners, 
So God, I pray that you would give us hope and that we would see that in Christ we have deliverance. In Christ we have salvation. In Christ we can experience eternal joy and fellowship with God. So would you minister to us through your living word at this time. Give us hope. Give us strength. Give us your peace that we can once again enjoy a deeper relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're continuing in our series of Advents, and this is our last week of Advent. Next Sunday is Christmas service. So Advent, the Advent of Christ. And today we're looking at the testing of the Son of God. And I specifically use the word testing because in the Greek, the original language within this passage where it says that Jesus was tempted by Satan or by the devil, the word tempt in the Greek can also be translated as test. And we're going to see both perspectives in today's sermon. It's a temptation, but it's also a test. And it's the same thing for all of us. Whenever we face temptations in life, it is also a test, a test from God. So we're going through all of the book of Luke. Today we're looking at Luke chapter 4, and we're eventually going to get to the end of Luke early next year. So let's go through this passage verse by verse. Looking at verses 1 to 3 again. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted, there's that word, by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. So I'm going to explain a little bit later in the sermon why Jesus was led by the Spirit. I don't know if you've ever noticed this phrase whenever you read through the Gospel accounts. Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan. It's a really interesting fact, but we'll touch back on this a little bit later. So Jesus, he's been fasting for 40 days. And if you fast food for 40 days, drinking only water, not, sh not you know, juice and shakes and stuff like that, only water, 40 days, that's around when, when you can live until. So Jesus is literally to the point of starving to death. And then Satan comes when he's at his lowest physical state. If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now the devil, he's not doubting Jesus' identity. Satan knows who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God. What Satan is trying to do here is he's trying to rewrite Jesus' life script, his mission, to make him into a different kind of Messiah. A kind of Messiah or a kind of king that is not focused on others in self-sacrifice, but focused on self. Self-promotion, self-gratification, self-protection, self-preservation. And so the first temptation we see here, the devil is focusing on provision and pleasure. Jesus is literally starving to the point of death. He needs food in order to survive. That's provision. But food is also satisfying. Food is also pleasurable. 
So just think about what is your favorite food to eat in this world? I love asking people in a membership class, discipleship class, icebreaker question, you know, if you only had one meal left to eat before you die, what would that meal be? And it's interesting to see what people say. A lot of people say sushi or pizza or burgers, jerk chicken for myself. Um, some people, I won't name who, but some people like cereal and they'll eat cereal as their last meal. Food is satisfying. It's pleasurable. So we see these, this temptation here, provision and pleasure. And some of us, these are the temptations that we're wrestling with right now. Some of us are wrestling with, how am I going to survive? How am I going to get through another week, another month? How am I going to pay the bills? I don't know how I'm going to provide for my children. And so we're, we're struggling to trust in God, that God is our provider, that God cares for us as our Heavenly Father. Others of us were struggling with the temptation of pleasure. They were constantly looking for the next high. Why? For many different reasons. But maybe you're, you're bored in life. Life is mundane, it's dull, and so I just need something to excite me. You're looking for the next high, the next relationship, the next drug, more alcohol, more pornography, whatever it is that will give you temporary pleasure. Look what Jesus says in verse 4. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. What Jesus is saying is, as important as bread is for the body, as important as basic necessities are for human flourishing, we need to pay the bills. We do need to feed our family. As satisfying, as pleasurable as food is for the stomach, my spiritual health takes priority. Now, don't get me wrong, we're not dualists, and the Bible does not promote dualism. Some of us grew up in churches, or maybe your parents have taught you growing up that only your spiritual life matters, and the physical life doesn't matter. So don't really care about anything physical, your physical body, your physical health, or anything with the environment. Everything's just going to temp be temporary. Everything's going to die and burn away. All we're going to be left with is a spiritual body, in heaven. So why should we care about anything physical? But the Bible promotes both physical and spiritual health. It takes a very holistic approach to well-being. But how many of us have our priorities upside down? As important as physical health is, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 verse 33, don't worry about what you're going to eat, about what you're going to wear, and all the other things that the pagans worry about, non-Christian people worry about. You have a heavenly Father who cares for you. He feeds the birds of the air. He clothes the lilies of the field. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you as well. The first priority is our spiritual health. Do you focus excessively on your physical needs, your physical health, your finances, while completely neglecting your spiritual needs. I mean, if you're honest with yourself, how have you been doing in your Bible reading? How have you been doing in your prayer life? This is not just something optional, supplemental. 
It's, it's nice to do, but no, I need, I need the Word of God in my life. I need to pray more than I need bread, more than I need money in my life. I need more of God. As important as your physical needs are, and again, I want to affirm, physical needs are important, but our spiritual needs are even more important. In Matthew chapter 4, the parallel account here, Jesus says, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Meaning, the word of God takes priority. It is more essential for our lives than even food. And that's why Jesus here, he's fasting for 40 days, relying totally on the Word of God and the presence of God. The Word of God nourishes us. The Word of God sustains us. The Word of God strengthens us. The Word of God satisfies us. The Word of God directs us. The Word of God transforms us. The Word of God is sweeter than honey, more precious than gold. And I wonder how many of us actually believe that. And I'm preaching to myself as well. This is what Jesus believed. Not just in his head. He didn't just affirm this intellectually. It wasn't just one of his core values on a piece of paper. He believed it in his heart, in his bones. And it showed in the way that he lived his life. Early in the morning, he would wake up to spend time with his father. He would fast, fast food, because he would want to spend more time with his father. When was the last time we fasted and prayed? Is this your conviction today? Is your desire for God's word greater than your desire for more money, for more pleasure, for more comfort, for that beautiful vacation, for comfort? security. Look at the next temptation in Luke chapter 4 verses 5 to 7. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. The devil is saying, look, Jesus, we all know what's going on here. I know who you are. You know who you are. You're the true king, right? You want to establish your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So I'll give you that. Let's just skip to the chase. All you have to do is worship me. Satan is offering Jesus a shortcut to glory without the cross, without suffering. So here in the second temptation, the devil is focusing on power and possessions. How many of us want more power and possessions in our lives? Maybe power is too strong of a word, but we want reputation. We want to be known as powerful or knowledgeable or smart or competent. We want to be known as someone who excels in their workplace and profession. How many of us believe that this is the secret to true happiness? Climbing up the corporate ladder or attaining more and more possessions. This is what every commercial is preaching to you. 
every advertisement, especially during this Christmas season, it's not really about Jesus. It's about spending more money so that materialism will make you more happy. You need to buy this car. You need to buy this phone. You need to buy this vacation package. Only then will you have happiness. Without these things that you see on these advertisements, you're not going to be truly happy in life. We start to buy into this message. We start to believe it. I need possessions and power in order to be happy. Look at what Jesus says in verse 8. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. You see, every temptation is a battle of worship. And really, this is all of life. The main battle is about what do you worship? It's not that some people worship and some people don't worship. Or some people enjoy singing praise songs, some people don't. Everyone is a worshiper. Everyone worships something. The question is, what are you worshiping? What are you hoping for in life? What are you trusting in? What are you most devoted to? What do you value the most in life? And what do you want the most in life? However you answer these questions, that's what you worship. It might not be these statues of idols of gold and silver like in ancient cultures, but we all worship something. And Jesus is saying we are to worship the Lord our God and serve Him only. Why? Because only God is worthy of our worship, of our affections, of our devotion. Anything else will only disappoint you. Even good things like a boyfriend, girlfriend, a spouse, children, a job, all of these things are good. They're created by God for us, for our good. But when you make that into the ultimate thing, it will crush you. It will disappoint you. Because they were never meant to be worshipped. Only God can fulfill His promises. He will never let you down. Look now at the final temptation in verses 9 to 11. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully to guard you carefully they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone so imagine today if someone were to stand on top of the CN Tower and they're about to jump off it would be all over the news it'll be all over social media everyone will be sharing this footage and their posts to all of their friends and family. If Jesus were to stand on the highest point of the temple, and this is the pinnacle of Jerusalem, the religious center at the time, and if Jesus were to jump off, and after he jumps off in the middle of the air, angels come and catch Jesus so that he doesn't strike the ground and Jesus is safe. Maybe he just stays in midair, or maybe the angels bring him down safely. And if all the crowd saw what happened, Jesus would be a sensational public display. 
he would go viral immediately. He would immediately get millions of followers on social media, and people would just follow him everywhere. So here in the third temptation, the devil is focusing on popularity and prestige, or the need to be liked by everyone, the need to be praised by everyone. Do you struggle with the need to be liked and praised? Are you a people pleaser? People's thought and image of you, that's what really matters the most in my life. Do you care more about what other people think about you than about what God ultimately thinks? Now, Satan is clever here. Satan, he, he starts to catch on to what Jesus is doing. Jesus is quoting scripture at every temptation. So Satan's like, you know what? I can quote scripture too. It is written, he will command his angels. He quotes from Psalm 91, verses 11 to 12. Satan knows scripture, probably more than most of us here. But Satan, he twists God's word. We saw that in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, the temptation of Adam and Eve. He starts to twist God's word, and he misapplies it. Today, many Christian preachers, teachers, authors, they twist God's word, and they misapply it, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally, whether it's from good motives or bad motives. But the question is, can you tell the difference? If someone just stands up here and says, it is written, gives you a Bible verse, and starts telling you an application, this is what we all have to do based on that verse, can you tell if it's being twisted and misapplied? And that's why biblical interpretation is so important. And that's what we cover in our first discipleship class, Follow Me. That's what we covered last week in our discipleship class. It's so important that we properly interpret God's Word so that we can detect when Satan is lying to us because he will use Scripture at times. Look how Jesus responds in verse 12. Jesus answered, It is said... Do not put the Lord your God to the test. So Jesus once again counters Satan's deception with the truth. We are not to intentionally put ourselves in harm's way just to test God. To test if God exists, or to test God's power, or to test if God really loves me. Does he really care about me? Let me put a test and see if God really loves me. No. We are to simply trust in God's goodness, in God's timing, in God's ways, in God's providential care over our lives. Trust God at his word. Now at this point, you might be thinking the main takeaway from this passage is we all have to be like Jesus. We have to be able to quote scripture. I don't know how many passages of scripture I've memorized. I better start memorizing scripture. I better start reading the Bible. I haven't read the Bible for many years. And that is a good takeaway, but it's not the main takeaway. That's not the main point of the passage. If you come to that main point, if that's the only point that you come to after reading this passage, you're only reading this passage from a me-centered lens. How does this passage apply to me? 
but you're missing completely on a Christ-centered lens. And so, imitating Jesus' example in quoting Scripture, I have to be able to be ready for these temptations, memorize Scripture. That's only one application. But the main point, the main question we need to ask when reading this passage is who is Jesus? Look again at verse 1. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Why was Jesus led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan? Well, on one hand, Satan was waiting for him there, and he needed to be tempted by the devil. But on the other hand, again, in the Greek, in the original language, the word for tempt can also be translated as test. And the second perspective that we have to see here is that Jesus had to be tested by God. God is using Satan to test his son and to tempt his son. Both perspectives are at play here. You see, Jesus is called the last Adam. He's the true Israel. He's the perfect son of God. He is humanity's last and final perfect representative. So look at these passages here. It's all going to highlight different people who have been called the Son of God throughout the Bible. Luke chapter 3, verse 38. It gives a genealogy of Jesus right at the end of that genealogy. It says, The son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So Adam, the first human being, is called the son of God. Why? Because he was humanity's first representative. Look at what it says in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, this is God talking, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. So corporate Israel, the nation of Israel, is called God's son. Why? Because it's also functioning as God's representative. They are to be a light to all the other Gentile nations. Lastly, look at Luke chapter 3, verse 22. This is just the chapter previous of what we're looking at today. And a voice came from heaven. You, Jesus, are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So Jesus Christ is called God's son because he is the eternal son of God. But he's also functioning as humanity's new representative. So Adam, the first human being, is called the son of God. But what happens to Adam? He falls into temptation. The devil comes to tempt Adam and Eve. We can say that God tested Adam and Eve, and Adam failed. He fell into sin. God then raises up and rescues Israel out of Egypt and calls Israel his son because they're going to be the new representative of humanity. What happens to Israel? They're tempted in the wilderness for 40 years or they're tested by God for 40 years. They turn away from God. They worship false gods. They turn to worshiping the gods of other nations. They constantly grumble and complain saying, God, you're not good. You're not with us. I'd rather go back to Egypt. 
Israel fails as God's quote-unquote son, as the representative of humanity. Now Jesus comes onto the scene as the last Adam, or the second Adam, the true Israel, the perfect son of God. Will Jesus fail and fall into sin and temptation just like humanity's previous representatives? Or will Jesus pass the test and redeem all of creation? So when you read this passage, you have to understand that Jesus is reenacting the story of the Old Testament. He's reenacting Israel's story. Just as Israel was tested and tempted in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus is going to be tested and tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. And this is symbolic of Israel's story. Look what Moses writes in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Moses tells the people of Israel, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. Why? to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. So God led Israel in the wilderness to test what is in your heart. What do you truly worship? Do you actually worship God like you say? Or do you worship other things? And Israel failed the test miserably. And Jesus here now is taking the exact same test. He's led into the wilderness by God or by the Spirit of God to see what's in Jesus' heart. Who does Jesus really worship? Does he really worship God or other things? Will he keep God's commands? And Jesus passes the test. He passes the test by quoting Scripture. But which book does Jesus quote from each of the three times he's tempted by Satan? Each of the three times he says, it is written, it is written, it is said. He quotes three times from the book of Deuteronomy. He didn't have to do that. He could have chosen any book in the Old Testament to quote scripture from. Why Deuteronomy? It's because Jesus is intentionally linking his testing in the wilderness to Israel's testing in the wilderness. He's reenacting Israel's story. And unlike Israel, Jesus perfectly obeys God's commands. He passes the test. And that's why it says in verse 13, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus is our true king who won the victory on our behalf. We finally have a representative that did not fail. And so we don't have to face the test on our own anymore. On our own, every single one of us will fail the test. Just look at the past week. All the temptations that you were aware of or unaware of. Did any of us pass the test? No. The temptations for provision, for pleasure, power, Possessions, prestige, popularity. All of us want these things. All of us worship these things rather than God. We need a new representative. And the good news of the gospel 
is that Jesus came and passed the test for us. And this is the gospel. Jesus lived the perfect life on our behalf, obeying all of God's commands. And he went to the cross to die for all of our sins, all of our shortcomings, all of our weaknesses. And when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, our representative, our champion, our savior and redeemer, we can be saved from our sins and have eternal fellowship with the triune God. So today, when you reflect on this passage, yes, let's read our Bibles. Yes, let's quote scripture. But don't think that you are the one who's going to take down Satan. No, Jesus has already done that for us. And all we have to do is cling to Jesus. He is our true hero. Trust in Jesus. Worship him.